But here's the stolen base issue the Mets have. And this is something, of course, they need to take advantage of. And I think that I agree with the thesis on trying to be more younger and athletic and take advantage of that new rule. The team leader in stolen base is a Starling Marte 24. We all acknowledge. Definitely had a better year stealing bases than we would have thought. And that number is probably higher if he's actually hitting and feeling healthy. Francisco Lindor has put up 20 stolen bases this season. Remember, a year ago, Francisco Lindor stole 16 bases. So he's at 20, probably ends up at about 25, 26. So it's trending up, but it wasn't like this explosion from a year ago. It's not like Lindor is stealing 40 bases. Do you know who's third in stolen bases on the New York Mets, if you had to guess, Pete? Oh, dude, if it's Tim LaCash, I'll be furious. <laughs> he's not that far off. <laughs> oh, no. I give you Alonso? The guy's not on the team. Guy's not here anymore. The answer oh, Tommy is Sam. Tommy Pham has 11. Gone. You know who's after Tommy Pham? I give no. you another hint. Guy's not on the team. <laughs> Canna? Bart Canna. Bart Canna with seven. Ugh. Then you've got Jeff McNeil with five, Pete Alonzo with four, Tim LaCastro with four, Rafael Ortega with three, Brandon Nimmo with three. In this era, and it's a brand new era, you got to steal more bases. You got to steal more bases. The Nimmo thing is amazing to me. And we're going to do a deep dive on Nimmo probably at some point during the offseason on what the hell happened this year because Brandon Nimmo has had such a weird season. His power numbers are up. We saw it again this week in another home run. He's got 17 home runs, which is a career high. And 800 OPS is certainly not bad. It's one of the best OPSs on the team. But he's not that same Brandon Nimmo. Like, he has not been that on-base machine that is Brandon Nimmo. I'm not even going to complain about the stolen bases with him because you can't change what isn't there. And for whatever reason, Brandon Nimmo throughout his major league career has never been an aggressive stolen base guy. I mean, he's only attempted five steals this year. He's three for five. And this isn't an era now in which the new rules are recommending you try to steal bases. And it's not coming from Brandon Nimmo. So I'm not going to tell you that that needs to change. I think you need to add more personnel that's going to change that. But but hold on a second. If you're talking about a leadoff hitter, yeah, he might get on base. When this year we talked about how he hasn't got on base much. But you can't go station to station anymore. You need to be able to be aggressive. This The, the, the type of baseball that's being played now is – you get on first base, you go to second base. You find a way to steal a base. And that you put yourself in a better position to score runs. And if you can't do that with your leadoff hitter, then you should not be the leadoff hitter. Then who should be the leadoff hitter on the New York Mets in 2024? Francisco Lindor or Starler Marte? Someone I that think, steals bases. So the Lindor option is interesting. Starling Marte doesn't get on base enough. You know, if you're telling me Starling Marte is going to come back next year and he's going to hit 310, which is going to bring his on-base percentage up to like 370, 380, fine. Okay, well, that, that's great. Where I would disagree with you is that while ideally I'd like Ricky Henderson, Ricky Henderson did both. Ricky Henderson got on base, and yes, he was a stolen base threat. If you gave me the choice right now, even in this new world, between a guy who's a stolen base machine but doesn't get on base enough versus a guy that gets on base a lot, I'm taking the guy that gets on base a lot because at the end of the day, if you're not on base, you can't steal second. It's not a cliche. It's just a dumb fact. You know, it's one of those, 
Yeah, no kidding. No shit, Sherlock. Well, yeah. So I think if if you if this roster is set up differently and you want to argue, hey, Brandon Emmo shouldn't lead off, you're right. But I don't think on this roster right now, there's a guy that could fit both, which is giving you what you want, a guy that can steal bases, and then giving what giving me or really a lot of other people what we want which is a guy that can get on base. Now, there will be more athleticism on this team naturally. We are all frustrated that Ronnie Mauricio is not here. Ronnie Mauricio, just to give you the numbers on him, has stolen, let's see, 19 bases this season. So it's not an overwhelming number. It's not 50, but 19 is a good number. It, It certainly adds to what they don't have right now. Obviously, when you look at what they got back in the trade for Verlander, in the trade for Scherzer, you got two guys that you got back that certainly add to that athleticism. Gilbert and Acuna can steal bases. I don't know if either guy is really somebody we can write in pen for 2024. In fact, I'd lean no. I'd lean towards that maybe we see them late in the season, but probably 2025. So I guess it leads to this question. Where, if they're not going to spend big on position players, are they going to change this issue we're talking about? Is this not something that they're going to change next year? It's more, yeah, they're building their farm system towards this, and eventually these guys will be here. Eventually you'll see Acuna and Jet Williams and Ronnie Mauricio. I would pencil in more towards next year because if he's a AAA next year, I mean, we're just all tossing our arms up. But I, I do agree with the part in terms of building this team, and clearly the Mets have, based on the young players they're going after, that you just want to take advantage more of those rules and the athleticism uh, that you can bring to your roster. I do agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I think that's got to be the approach, and that's the only thing is, you're right, if they're not going to, if they're sticking within, I don't know who they have that can do that. Then that builds the question of, did they make a poor choice in extending or signing Nimmo, extending McNeil, those type of guys. No, I so I don't think they made a mistake in extending Brandon Nimmo because not every player needs to fit what we're talking about. And, and I also just, while ideally you want a leadoff hitter that can steal a lot of bases, I don't think it's a must. I don't think it's a necessity. So I don't think they made a mistake at all in extending Brandon Nimmo. I think clearly... Jeff McNeil is the guy you're going to explore moving more than anybody else. My hope is McNeil performs well enough over the final month and a half of the year that he kind of fixes his trade value because he hasn't had a great season and that teams are not going to look at him too afraid of what he is. And look, Brandon Nimmo, give him credit for the power. You know, he did this in game one of this series when he hit the home run in the sixth inning. He's hit home runs. And he's also adjusted, I give him a little bit of credit for this, he's adjusted well to going back to left field. He had not played a lot of left field over the last few years. And because of this, I guess it's a groin issue that he's been suffering from, and he wants to play, and Buck wants him out there, the compromise has been, we're going to try to take the strain off of that injury, and we're going to move you to left field. And I think he's played a decent left field. So I don't have regret over keeping Brandon Nemo. It's funny, and we'll do a lot of this during the uh, during the offseason. What do you really regret from the way this team was built? And, and that's not necessarily a defense of Billy Epler, though it sounds like one. But 
I'm always I always try to be fair when we talk about these GMs and managers. There's going to be a lot of stuff we rip. Colin Holderman for Daniel Vogelback is a rip. That was a reminder this week. Like obviously that was an atrocious trade. Not calling up Ronnie Mauricio. Like I don't feel like I have to go through all the things Billy Epler's effed up before I actually sort of defend him. But maybe I do. But when you look at the moves this offseason, there aren't a lot that you point to and say, how the hell did you do this? <laughs> there aren't. I think, I think we were all pretty much in on building around the two veterans. We all certainly were in that when they lost to Grom, even though I disagreed with that, but clearly I was wrong, that they pivot to Justin Verlander. I think one of the things, I know you pointed it, I, I did not go crazy about was go get another bat. And if they added J.D. Martinez, yes, that would have been a big help. I was more on they should add another reliever. And yeah, it would have helped, but I don't know if it would have avoided this entire mess. How about Daniel Vogel back in game one of this series? Go back to game one of this series. That was the game where Carlos Carrasco pitched three innings, and he threw 88 pitches, and he allowed two runs. And Buck Showalter said, you know what I should do? I should get him out of the game with a three-to-one lead, or a three-to-two lead, I think it was. But whatever it was at that point. I got to get him out because he just throws way too many pitches. I think at the time we were, I think it was two to one or two to two, if I'm not mistaken, when he got him out of the game or it was three to two. That's what it was. We were up three to two. Carrasco pitched three innings, allowed the two runs. His pitch count was 88. And Buck Showalter said, you know what? This isn't working. And I, I kind of appreciate that he's done that, even though he goes to, reliever number one that 98% of us had never heard of until he added on the roster, Tyson Miller. And we are getting a lot of that over the last few days. It's either I've never heard of that guy or he's on the roster. The Jose Budo one, definitely. Cause we've heard of Jose Budo. We've seen him pitch, but when Jose Budo comes into the game the other night, there has to be a collective. He's on the roster. Sam Coonrod activated from the injured list comes in, by the way, looks pretty good out of the bullpen. Not too bad. Your reaction has to be he's on the roster, but the opener of this series saw Carlos Carrasco somehow get his way through three innings. The Met bullpen do, you know, shockingly an amazing job with Carrasco out Tyson Miller, two scoreless innings, Sam Coonrod, a scoreless inning. Phil Bickford, a scoreless inning. Trevor Gott, a scoreless inning. Adam Adovino, a scoreless inning. Let's not be confused, though, by all those scoreless innings. If you want to view this as pseudo-spring training for 2024, there is not one guy in that bullpen that impressed me based on all those scoreless innings. Granted, Adovino will be on the roster. Trevor Gott will probably be on the roster. I'm not sure about Phil Bickford. Phil Bickford's getting a clear audition right now. I'm not positive he's on the roster. I don't know if we're going to see that. But Daniel Vogelback hits a home run in the second inning of this game. And at that point, that gave the Mets a 2-1 to lead. Am I not the only person that gets disgusted even now when Vogelback hits home runs? Like, he hits the home run. I'm happy. The Mets are up 2-1. to one. I don't blame him. He's, uh, he's trying to do something he does something I don't think he flipped a switch now that the season's over but when Vogelback hits home runs no fault of his own I just get disgusted when I see it happen yeah I get that with a lot of these guys like DJ Stewart too it's maybe it's a lot more with Vogelback but DJ Stewart I'm like why is this guy on the roster 
and all of a sudden he hits a home run. It's like, oh, well, there you go. That's why. It's like nobody needs this right now. You see all these auditions with the pitching staff, with the bullpens. I want to see auditions from these young kids to get called. Like, I, I want to see Baby back soon. I want to see what Vientos has. I want to see what Mauricio has. And then we see Vogel back, who's done nothing all season long. And he, you know, had that big home run against the, uh, the Braves of the day, too, when they were down 13 to three. I mean, it's just like, it's, there's no reason. I can't believe he's made this. He's going to make it to the final day of the season. It's amazing. You know, it's funny. My frustration for it is very different than what you just said. What you just said, by the way, completely fine. I'm not even disagreeing with you, but my frustration is you couldn't have done this three weeks ago. You couldn't have done this in all the big spots you were given a chance to in the first few months of the season when Vogelback was being forced on our throats. Again, I'm not blaming him for hitting a home run the other day. He's trying to do something productive. He did it. Good for him. But think about all the opportunities Daniel Vogelback had earlier in this season in big spots with this team where he came up small. And that's where my frustration was. But they win the opener of this series 7-2. to David Peterson pitches game two of this series. And this kind of performance is why it's going to be very difficult, no matter what David does the rest of the way, to even give him a thought of being in the rotation next year. So Peterson is finally allowed to throw a bunch of pitches. He threw a lot of pitches in this game. He walks six guys in three and two-thirds innings. He is putting guys on base every single inning. I mean, it really is infuriating to watch. Shockingly, the only run he gives up is that leadoff home run in the second inning to Peguero. Even putting the leadoff man on in the first, you know, even two on, two out in the first, he gets out of it. Even when he walks the first two guys in the third inning and the bases are loaded with one out in the third inning, he gets out of it. And I give him credit for that, that he's getting out of these jams. But six walks in three and two-thirds innings, it's he wasn't for the first time because you go back to the Baltimore game, you go back to his start after that. The frustration was we never got to see David Peterson finish a performance. That's what I said to you last time on the Rico. Like he was all right. I, I don't even know how to judge it, but they took him out too quick. He threw enough pitches in this game where I can't look at three and two thirds innings and say, well, it's incomplete. They didn't give him a full shot. They gave him a full shot. He put nine guys on base in three and two thirds innings. Nine guys. That's that's just too many. He threw a million pitches. Like I know he didn't implode and pull a Severino and give up five or six runs, but it was incredibly frustrating, and it's a reminder of why all these years now into his major league career, you can't trust David Peterson. You can't do it. I think he threw ninety one. He threw ninety one pitches. I think he threw forty five balls. Yeah. Well, I mean, he walked six guys, <laughs> which is. Which is not easy to do. Not everybody could be Charlie Morton against the Mets and walk a bunch of guys, yet still manage to get through six innings or whatever he was able to do. And then the other thing about this game that was very, very difficult to cope with was how they lost the game. This, in a lot of ways, was a very typical, frustrating Met loss. You get the home run by Nimmo to start the game, like we mentioned. He's been hitting a lot of them. Peterson fights his way through all of these innings. He's fighting his way through the first and the second and the third. He finally gets pulled in the fourth inning. And Jose Budo, for a while, does a really good job. I mean, he looked really, really good. 
And then trouble erupts in the seventh inning of this game, and Grant Hartwig comes in, and he can't throw a goddamn strike. And a game that's tight, a 1-1 game, turns into just this unmitigated disaster where you've got bases loaded walk, bases loaded walk, passed ball, which is infuriating, and Alvarez has had a lot of those. He has. Defensively, there are things about his defense that's been really, really good. His pitch framing, the way he takes control, the way with one second on the pitch clock, he sprints out there to the mound. But he's had way too many pass balls. And he has not thrown guys out at second base. Like, seriously, it, I struggle to remember the amount of individual times Francisco Alvarez has thrown a guy out at second. Not all his fault. I admit that. We talked earlier about Adovino. But he's got to get a little bit better defensively. But this game was just, I mean, ugly as hell. And then Jason DeLay just breaks the game open with the double. And it was all Grant Hartwig, who's another guy. This Grant Hartwig has had his moments. He has moments of, oh, maybe we got something. Maybe we got something. And then he gets slapped in the face that we don't have something. That one other thing the Mets need to develop in this farm system. And you could tell me about MLB Pipeline and all the rankings and all the guys they got back for Verlander and Scherzer. They just don't have a lot of young impact arms. They don't have young arms they can stick in this bullpen that throw 99 miles an hour that are raw as hell that you can say, hey, maybe this guy will develop into something. Because trust me, Grant Hardwick ain't that guy. Well, it, let me ask you a question, because is that a strategy they've had that they just gone? Because besides Edwin Diaz, I mean, you look at Robertson's not throwing 100 miles per hour. Adovino, not even close. Like it, It's all like, you know, they're pitchers. They could pitch, but they're not flamethrowers. We have zero. We, you look up and down this, this bullpen, nobody besides Edwin Diaz. It, it, to me, it's more about the young arms, the young, raw arms. I mean, relievers, you kind of know what you're getting when you sign them. You know what David Robertson is. You know what Brooks Raleigh is. And it's not a knock on those guys. It's that there are a lot of organizations who will call off, not that they'll be effective, but young, just horses that are raw and have a lot of potential. And the Met guys that are called up, no offense, but you look at them and say, yeah, I don't, I don't even see how that's going to happen. Like Jordan Walker and Grant Hartwig, guys like that. So I, I watch every game, not only hoping that they win, but viewing the auditions for 2024. And there's not one guy in this bullpen, besides the obvious, the veterans, the guys who are under contract, the guys like Brooks Raley, Adam Adovino, who's probably going to opt in to this final year of his deal, Trevor Gott probably too. There are not a lot of young guys that you look at and say, ooh, there's an audition for next year, and that looked pretty good. They did major, uh, stage a little bit of a comeback in this game. <laughs> DJ Stewart hit a home run. Jonathan Aruz hit another home run. But just a very, just an ugly loss. Bottom line. It was just, a, it was just an ugly, ugly loss. The finale of this series was, and again, as I always admit, tough to watch because I'm on the air doing the afternoon show. So it's very difficult to be super focused on it. Tyler McGill sort of did what David Peterson did, except he was able to get through five innings. And what I mean by that is he put a ton of guys on base, which is what Tyler McGill does. Two on in the first gets out of it. First two guys get on in the second, he gets out of it. He gives up the two runs in the third inning, but then puts another guy on base, gets out of it. Puts a couple of guys on base in the uh, fifth inning and then got out of it with some defensive help. So he put a million guys on base, but end of the day, 
five innings, two runs. And like I said earlier this season when that would happen, I don't care how you get there. From Tyler McGill, I'll take five innings, two runs. But here's the problem with all this. Five innings, two runs was fine. The Mets went out and scored eight runs. They won the game. Omar Narvaez had a double. DJ Stewart had a couple of home runs. Pete Alonzo late hit a home run. That's all great. It's all fine. There was nothing about the McGill start that made you change your view on what he is. And so for this day, it was fine. McGill and Peterson, who are the auditioners, if you will, for next year, they have not moved the needle at all. There's nothing about this performance, despite, hey, five innings, two runs. I still think of nine guys being on base. And I still think of, yeah, this is what we basically saw in April. This is the best of Tyler McGill. And unfortunately, that's not good enough. So we're watching McGill and Peterson every five days. And I think we're all coming to the same conclusion, which is, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, right Right now the 2024 uh, roster pitching staff is uh, Kodai Senga and Quintana. That's it. Yeah, that has not changed. Now, they, they have kids in the minor leagues that you're thinking about, like Christian Scott, like Mike Vassell, like Blade Tidwell, but I'm not sure if any of those guys should be counted on to be in the rotation next year. So as this series rolls on or as this season rolls on, I don't think any of the auditions have changed our view on things. A couple of things, though, to touch on. Number one, Kodai Senga. I don't think there's any doubt. It was brought up to Buck a few days ago. We're being smart here. Kodai Senga's innings should be curtailed over the final month and a half of the season. This team is going nowhere. They're not battling in a pennant race. I think what I would do to curtail his innings is I'd get Lucchese up here. I'd say Vassal, but I don't. I just don't think he's ready. And I don't think the Mets want to rush him. So, fine. I get Lucchese up here, who I have to check on. I'm not sure how he's done over his last few starts. Not that it matters. Now, think about it. Did it matter when they called David Peterson up? It doesn't freaking matter. But I think I would just go six-man. I think that's the easy solution to it because pulling him out of the rotation, eh. I think right now there's nobody in this rotation that needs to pitch every five days. So right now you're in a stretch of games where the Mets aren't taking a lot of off days. They got a four-game series coming up with St. Louis. Just insert Lucchese and bring Senga's innings down in that regard. Maybe don't push him quite as much. Uh, he is the one guy in the rotation, though, I look forward to seeing pitch. And he features the coolest giveaway of 2023. A lot was made this week of the Edwin Diaz trumpet bobblehead. But my family is very excited for next Friday. Next Friday at City Field, Mets Angels. Do you know what this is, Pete? Do you know about the Senga giveaway? Uh, I, I don't. I think someone mentioned it, but I don't. I don't really think I know. Is it something to do with the ghost fork thing? It does, man. Kodai Senga glow in the dark ghost forkball. Yeah, I showed my oldest son a picture of it, and he saw the autograph, the signature, and he's like, "Did Kodai Senga autograph every ball?" I was like, "Nah, it's a replica. Still cool though. Still very, very cool." So I, I, I agree that Senga's inning should be somewhat curtailed. I would just do it six-man. 